bit about end times and uh, uh, we uh, just want to encourage you, you know, the idea of preparation uh, is good whether we are in the end times or not because we know that there are, there are sunny days and there are rainy days in our lives, right? And uh, we, we know we're going to encounter trials and difficulties and all of those things. And uh, we, uh, we want you to be well prepared for those things. And I uh, want you to not face the future with fear. And I think, you know, uh, we can kind of bury our heads in the sand, and that's a popular choice among some. Uh, or we can just, uh, with faith in our hearts and uh, belief in God, faith in God and his faithfulness to us, we can look at the future and, and even contemplate the things that the Bible has to say without fear. And, uh, you know, in the truest sense of the word, we live in exciting days. We live in exciting times where uh, the, the things that the Bible has prophesied for thousands of years, we believe, are, are coming to pass, opening up before us, almost, it seems, almost daily. And we see the hints of these things uh, uh, arising uh, on, the, on the horizon and... Uh, and some certainly we are already involved in. Made the point last, uh, last week that uh, we are already, we are about 95% into the cashless society. So if you've ever heard about the cashless society, we are pretty much there. You can operate pretty well um, not carrying around cash, coins and dollar bills and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I, maybe I'm the last one to know but I noticed in downtown Anchorage, uh, parking meters. I mean, since the, the, I think Noah got off the ark, you've always put coins in parking meters. Is that, is that true? Yes. But now they want your credit card in the parking meter. It's like, what in the world? So you don't even need coins to put time on, <laughs> on the parking meter. You just swipe your card and tell them how long you want to park there, and, and they'll charge your card appropriately, I guess. So anyway, yeah, we, we live in the cashless society. We're already there. And there's probably just a few things to clean up. And, uh, and so we don't want you to be uh, fearful. You know, it's like, oh, man, we're already there. I didn't even realize it. Um, but... You know, that, that really is the truth. And, uh, and so there's always three things that we encourage you to do. I'm going to repeat some of these things because we never have the same congregation twice in the same room and some people miss it. We, we encourage this. Number one, uh, pay down or you know, eliminate as much debt as you possibly can. Um, that is, I call it 365 day a year advice. You, that, that is good in good times. And that is good in bad times, is if you can reduce or eliminate debt, uh, we encourage you to do that. We encourage and recommend you to do that. Number, number two uh, is that we encourage you to uh, stock a pantry. And, uh, you know, whether it is, you know, just whatever disruption may happen, it, you know, we have earthquakes here in Alaska, uh, some places, you know, in Alaska, you know, find themselves suddenly cut off by floods. Uh, and, uh, you know, so having a little bit of a pantry is a, is a great way to prepare. And, and not that we're just 
fearful or hoarders or preppers or whatever label you want to put on that. That's not the point. The point is, is that we are prepared for the needs of ourselves and our families, uh, but also to our neighbor that may be less prepared than we are. And we will have the ability to reach out and help them uh, and possibly share the gospel with them. So uh, we encourage that as well. And then uh, the third is have an emergency fund. Uh, and uh, we, you know, if you don't have an emergency fund at all, uh, we, we recommend $1,000. Um, it said that, you know, that a great majority of Americans do not, if, you know, they had a $1,000 emergency uh, in their life, uh, you know, maybe your, your car breaks down or, or appliance goes out of the house or whatever, you, you would not have the resources to cover that $1,000 emergency. So start there. And if you have the ability to uh, work up from there and, uh, you know, financial advisors uh, say, you know, have three to six months uh, income on hand and, uh, and you should be set. And that is good uh, whether the times are good or the times are challenging. So, uh, you know, if, if uh, nothing ever happens and the world is perfect and at a harmony and, and uh, nothing ever goes wrong, you will have, uh, you know, no debt, and you will have a stock pantry, and uh, you will have an emergency fund. So <laughs> none of those things will hurt you ever. So we encourage you to do that. Also, I just, I want to say, because uh, the, the new cycle is picking this up more and more often, and if you have a question about it, I want to answer that. Uh, the, the, the new COVID uh, news is arriving and, uh, you know, there's a variant and whatever. And, and so here's the deal. Um, new Life Assembly of God will never shut down again. Okay, so we did during the first pandemic, we did for the months of April and May, uh, much to my regret. And, uh, and we reopened in June of 2020. And we'll never do that again. So if you have any question about, you know, whether we're going to have church, I'm going to have church. And if you come and you show up, we'll have church, okay? And uh, we'll worship the Lord. We'll look at the Word of God. And, uh, and we'll have church together. So um, that's our chance, or our, our stance, I should say, not chance, but stance. And, uh, you know, we... I, People sometimes ask, and, and I just, I don't provide any guidance this way. It's not my lane. It's not my area of expertise, you know, about vaccination. You can be vaccinated if, if that's a good choice for you. And if you choose not to be vaccinated, that's, that's your choice. That's what uh, we leave between you and the Lord. And, uh, you know, if you want to wear a mask, you are certainly welcome to wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, you are certainly welcome to not wear a mask. Um, and if you want a social distance, there's plenty of room to do that. So we, we just, uh, on those things, we don't offer guidance. We just are, and then you make the choice, uh, you know, whether you want to attend in person, watch online, uh, and, and know that, you know, whatever happens, we will be here and we'll keep the lights on and uh, we will uh, meet together to uh, meet with the Lord. So, so I... Uh, I have uh, surfaced, I've had a little feedback, and, and uh, despite my desires, uh, some people have felt a little fearful talking about these subjects, and, and that is not my intent. And I hope that uh, we can uh, uh, maybe 
address your fears in such a way that you just trust the Lord. And, uh, and you know, talking about money and the future of money and, you know, cashless society and all of that, I want you to be in the best possible position to, to meet uh, any challenges in the future uh, in the best way that uh, you can prepare yourself. And, and uh, I, um, I want to talk a little bit more about money and, uh, and getting the Lord on your team. <laughs> Because uh, in our American culture, in our American uh, sensibilities, uh, I, I often find that, you know, just because, you know, it says it in the Word of God, we sometimes even resist it because our culture is strong uh, about some of these things. And uh, even if it's at odds with the, uh, with the Word of God, um, when, it, when it comes to the subject of us, and our finances, we generally are pretty uh, sensitive about those things. And, you know, as a pastor talking about money, and, and I know everybody kind of sits on their wallet a little harder, you know. And uh, <laughs> I want you to know I'm not coming after your wallet today, all right. But we are going to talk about money and, uh, and specifically about our money and the Lord's tithe, Okay. And uh, it may seem like a uh, conflict of interest. You may think, oh yeah, pastor, you'd like us to give more money so you, know, you could live more opulently. Hey, if you ever see me you know, piloting my yacht uh, down the Kenai River, you, you, you have opportunity to complain, okay? No yachts, I don't have a yacht. I don't have a land yacht, I don't have a water yacht, I don't have a yacht, okay? And, uh, and, you know, I have a board here at New Life Assembly of God, and they watch the finances of our church, and uh, they are competent to do that. And, and so that's not the point. Honestly, as your pastor, I, I, I feel the same way Paul the Apostle did with the Philippian believers uh, when he was encouraging their generosity in giving to the Lord. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 17. He's encouraging them to give. You can read the entire chapter just for the context of this. But here's Paul's motivation. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift. It's, it's not your gift that I'm after. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I, I want you to be blessed. I want you to experience God's goodness. The fruit of your obedience to the Lord. That's what I want you to have. And, um, and, and that's, as a pastor, that is what's in my heart. And uh, I'm not after your gifts. Uh, that's, you know, I, you know with, if, you, if you give more, we'll, we'll give it away. We'll give it to missionaries and, and uh, good causes uh, like that. But... Uh, we, I, want, I want God's blessing to abound in your life. One of the things that we sometimes lose touch with is that our finances, our money that comes into our hands, God gives us that ability. Deuteronomy, I don't have this on the, on the screen, but Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says this, and, and this is uh, Moses speaking to the children of Israel. He says, for it is he... God, the Father, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 
So what we have, we recognize, comes from the Lord. It comes from God. It's, it's actually his. And uh, he does ask us to tithe. And I know that, you know, uh, uh, a very earthly way of thinking is, okay, if I give the Lord the tithe, which means tenth, which means a tenth, then I only have 90% left. So if I give the Lord a tenth, that means I have less for me. But that conventional thinking is anti-scripture, and sometimes we adopt it as a very worldly way of thinking it, because the Bible uh, says much different um, about that. And I, I want to bring you through a, a little bit of a, a journey here. Um, the question, the question is, is this, what does 70 years of the Jewish captivity, now, if you know your Old Testament at all, uh, the, the prophet Daniel, if you read in the book of Daniel, that Israel was carried away captive, they, they, the Babylonians came, they destroyed Jerusalem, they took the people out of the land of Israel and took them to Babylon for 70 years. It was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah, okay? And uh, Daniel recognizes this in Daniel chapter 9. You can read that. And, and in reading the scripture, reading specifically Jeremiah's writing, Daniel discovered that the captivity of Israel that he himself was a part of in Babylon was going to last 70 years. Why, why 70 years? Well, Leviticus is chapter 26 and verse 34. This, you didn't think there was anything interesting in Leviticus, but this is interesting, okay? All right, uh, Leviticus 26, 34. And it, in a sense, is speaking prophetically here, okay? Uh, if you read through the, the giving of the law, and Leviticus is part of that, the land in Israel was to enjoy a Sabbath rest every seven years. Now, wouldn't that be incredible? Every seven years, you get the whole year off. How many are in favor of this? Yes, you know, and God's in favor of it. In fact, that was his plan. And, uh, you know, it was agrarian society, so everybody had crops, everybody planted, everybody reaped a harvest. But every seventh year, no one was to plant, no one was to harvest, the land was to lie desolate for a year. Now, God promised, he says, in the sixth year, you will have a bumper crop. Your crops will produce double uh, that will carry you through the year of sabbatical. That's kind of the, where the idea of sabbatical comes from. That you will have enough. You will have more than enough to get you through that year and through the next, and through the next year's planting so that we, when we start the cycle over again for another six years, you will uh, have enough. So here's Leviticus. Now, there is no evidence that that ever happened, in, at least in, if you read your Bible. Uh, if, when Israel got to the promised land, they just, they just ignored that. And the land never did enjoy its Sabbath, okay? And, uh, and so in the seventh year, when they should have taken the year off, they kept going. And maybe they didn't 
keep track. Maybe they didn't notice, but who noticed? God noticed. (laughs) And so if you want to do the math, every seven years that they missed the Sabbath, God kept track until it added up to 70 years. 70 Sabbaths were missing from the timeline, okay? And it's not like, you know, oh, our bad, sorry, that went away. No, God said, no, the land is going to experience its Sabbaths. And if it takes getting you guys out of the way, you're going to go to Babylon. And the land will lie desolate and enjoy its Sabbaths that you never gave it. All right, it says that right here in Leviticus uh, 26. It says, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. You know what? God is going to have his way. <laughs> you and I think we can, we can outfox God. You and I think that we can do it our way. We get by. We think, yeah, see, there's no consequences. You know, God doesn't care. This is, you know, something that doesn't matter. So 2 Chronicles 36, guess what happens? They ignore the, the law of the Sabbath. Uh, and God says, enough, enough. And uh, the Babylonians come and they uh, sack Jerusalem and and haul the people off to Babylon. It says, to fulfill the word of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 36, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Okay? So, What does that have to do with our tithe? God has directed us that when we have wealth or when we produce wealth, is that the first 10% is his. That belongs to the Lord. And that was a principle with every harvest, all of our increase, the first 10% belonged to God. Now, the rest of it, you can do whatever you want with. Um, and, uh, but God says the first tenth, tenth is, is mine. And the same principle is at work in our finances. The Lord will not be taken advantage of. Uh, we can withhold the tithe and think that we're better off because we have 100%. Um, and uh, instead of paying our tithe and our 10%. Now, now here... Uh, Trust me on this, I'm not after your money, all right? I am after your blessing. And I want you to experience God's best, okay? So here's what we think is, okay, if I give God 10%, I have less. I only have 90% to work with. But here's the principle. And Haggai, the prophet, calls Israel out. Haggai 1.6, he says, you have sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. So, what were they doing? They, they were robbing God. They did not 
give the Lord his tithe. And in fact, you know, Haggai goes on uh, to, you know, expose them. He says, you know, you're, you're living in opulent houses while the Lord's house is in ruins. And, you know, you think you're getting away with this, but, but the truth of the matter is you're not getting ahead. Is that you, you plant, but you bring in little. You eat, but you're not filled. You drink, and you're not filled with drink. And you earn wages only to put it in a bag that has holes in it. And that's really the picture of our lives if we withhold what belongs to the Lord. We think we have more, but we have less. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Here's, here's, the, here's the answer to that. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, or the, the temple, if you will, that there may be food in my house. Okay, so that's, it interprets itself here. My house is the Lord's house. It's the temple, so... There was a place in the house where they stored the, the tithe. And, and this, what is coming next here, is the only place in Scripture where God says, test me. <laughs> Try this. Test me and I will show you what I will do. All right? Where the Bible says that we're not to test the Lord, right? Thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. And that was the answer Jesus gave Satan uh, when he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and said, jump down and angels will catch you. And Jesus quoted, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. And, but except here in Malachi 3, God himself says, you can test me in this, all right? Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I have to ask myself the question I did many years ago about this subject matter and, and my own belief. Do I believe the word of God or not? Okay? Do I believe God's word or not? Because if I don't believe this, then I don't believe any of it. We're wasting our time here. Oh, I believe God. I believe the word, you know. Except <laughs> when it comes to giving the tithe. So I either believe this or I don't. There, there's, there's no middle ground here. Um, and I'll show that to you in just a moment. So if you bring the full tithe into the storehouse... See if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. You know that bag with holes that uh, Hosea talked about? That's the devourer. <laughs> That's the devourer. Why? You know, it's like you, may, you, you make this money, but you put it in a bag with holes that doesn't hold it. And you lose. And that's, that's the work of the devourer. They devour our substance. Um, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord. So very, it was a very agrarian society, and, and that, those were very meaningful 
pictures of what God would do to bring their increase. Remember, it is the Lord that gives you the ability to produce wealth. He is the on-off switch. So, when we obey the Lord in paying his tithe, we open ourselves up to two ways God can, can bless us, okay? One is he rebukes the devourer. We just mentioned that in a moment. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to take away. That is the work of the devourer. John 10.10 says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. And for many of us, that is in our financial well-being, all right? Um, He says, but I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. How would you like to have abundant wealth? Would anybody turn that down? I don't think so. Yeah, and it begins with a relationship with Jesus. And in this way, we grow in our trust in God and we learn to trust him in every area, even our finance. And I know that's hard. I know it's difficult. You know, it's like parting with the, the Lord's tithe. That's like, oh man, that seems like a lot of money. Um, our finances are part of that growth in our relationship of trust with Jesus. You know, um, you can be saved. I'm, I'm convinced of this. You can be saved. You can be going to heaven and have the devourer in your life. Uh, years ago in our house, I remember it was in the middle of the night. And I was sound asleep. And um, all of a sudden, the light in the bedroom goes on. And I thought, this is weird. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to keep my eyes shut here and just see what happens. The light goes out. And I thought, good. All right. Go back to sleep. About, oh, I don't know, a couple minutes later, the light goes back on. And my wife says, Steve. Steve. And I thought, oh, what? (laughs) What? Something is in the window. And I thought, oh, God, you don't love me. (laughs) I said, what's in the window? I don't know. And so I look, and something, we had those leveler kind of blinds, you know, and something was on the other side of the leveler blinds, and uh, you could see it was crawling down the other side. Couldn't see what it was until it got to the bottom and then there was a little head and then there was a bat that was flying around our bedroom in the middle of the night. A bat circling around and I just like, God, you hate me. (laughs) And my wife's, ah, Steve, get it, get it, get it. And uh, she dives under the covers and sends me out to get the bat. Well, it flies out of the room, and we never saw that bat again. And then we had squirrels in the house. I mean, it was like, what in the world is going on? And uh, finally, I thought, we we have to get to the bottom of this. Uh, We had a couple of squirrels, and uh, man, getting a squirrel out of your house, that's a a job. (laughs) And, uh, and so 
we, uh, you know, I thought, I have got to find out how these animals are getting into my house. And I searched and searched and searched until I discovered that uh, they were coming down my chimney <laughs> and getting in through there. And so I had to put covering over the chimney, a, a wire that uh, they couldn't get through. Uh, and uh, until I, I was able to seal off the place where they were getting into the, my house, I was having problems with them invading my house. You know, and, and the same principle works in our financial lives as well. How do we get the devour out of our house? How do we get the devour out of our lives? How do we get the devour out of our families? Well, we close up the place where they get in. We find that place. And often that place is, have we paid the Lord his tithe? And uh, if you're having the devour in your finances, then you might examine that part of your obedience to the Lord. So paying the Lord's tithe is like closing off the devour from getting into your life. And when you see your hard work, your savings, your peace diminish in your life, you know, from, from stupid things that seem to happen, realize that the devourer may be loose in your life and it's time to close up the gap, okay? So paying the Lord's tithe to help keep stupid stuff from happening and making you go backwards and putting your substance into a bag with holes is what the Lord will do. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. If you bring the full tithe into the, into the house, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. That's God's promise. Do you trust him? Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe what the Bible says? I do. I, I came to this crossroads many years ago, and I thought, you know what? I choose to believe the, the Bible. So number two is that he opens the windows of heaven. There are two times, well, actually three times in the Bible, but um, the, the third time is... Uh, uh, when the king of Samaria, the, the city is besieged and uh, the, the, there are lepers outside the city that the enemy wanted no part of, so they were able to live out there. But the, the Assyrians had come around the city of Samaria and uh, all they did were just camping out long term. They had access to food and water and everything, but the, because, uh, you know, the, they were... Um, trying to outlast the Syrian army, they had shut up the city. And so no, no food or water was coming into the city. and It was causing famine inside the city. And, and a prophet came to uh, the king of Samaria and he said, at this time tomorrow, uh, you know, bread and water and food will be sold for regular prices because the price of everything had inflated incredibly because there was no food left in the city. And and everyone was starving. And the king, in disbelief, said, even if the windows of heaven were open, this could never happen. And produced a um, judgment on himself, and he wasn't able to see it. So that's, that's the, the second time. But the first and the third time that the phrase windows of heaven are opened, the first time is in Genesis chapter 7. Okay, What significant thing happened in Genesis chapter 7? Hmm. Noah's flood. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights and it covered the earth with water. It says, and God opened the windows of heaven. 
and the, and the rain came down and flooded the earth. Now, the third time that windows of heaven is mentioned is in Malachi that we just read. And uh, Malachi 3.10, uh, about halfway through, it says, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So those three times the windows of heaven are mentioned. Once in the, in the flood of Noah that covered the earth, and, and the most, second most important time for you and I is in this verse of Scripture. That God says, you know what, for you, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. And what is that a picture of? It's a picture of deluge. How would you like that kind of blessing in your life? Okay, Paul says, I'm not seeking the gift, but the fruit that abounds to your account. That's what he's talking about. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about today. I just want you to prosper. I just want you to do well. You know, I, I would rather not you come to me, I, although you will, and, and not saying that you can't, and I'd be glad to pray with you if you are having financial trouble. And we can pray together. God, help. Give us wisdom here. And, and uh, we just pray for your supply and, and resource, Lord, to uh, help in our need. I, I pray those kind of prayers with people. But you know what prayer I'd rather pray with you? Is God, we have so much here, we don't know what to do with that. Thank you. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a better prayer to pray? <laughs> prayer of thanksgiving rather than a prayer of desperation? That's what God promises us. I will open up the windows of heaven on your behalf. See the fruit that abounds to your account. If we face difficult days, we want to be fully on God's side. I think there's a quote distributed to Abraham Lincoln, and he was asked during the Civil War, he says, Mr. Lincoln, do you believe that God is on your side? And he says, it doesn't concern me whether God is on my side or not. My concern is whether I be on his And if things are difficult and things, you know, are uncertain and bring a little bit of fear into our hearts or whatever, I want to be on God's side. <laughs> and he tells us here very plainly, this is one of the ways that we can do this. We have to ask ourselves the question, do I believe him? Do I believe God? Do I actually believe that God is going to say what he says he will do for me? Let me assure you, he does. He means it. And there will be plenty of tests. There will be difficulty. But God is faithful. There's, there's no second thoughts about that. <laughs>